0: All right, wonderful, wonderful. As I said in first service, I love when Gabby sings that song. She is so good. And she sings that song with attitude. And it's like, if you don't think he's all powerful and that's his kingdom, you got trouble. So I love that. I love that. All right. Well, how are you guys doing? Good, good, awesome. Well, I was cutting out some first service, so they're going to hold this one over and see if they can put this one on the website. So I've got a little pressure going on here, so, you know. Uh, So who's this guy here? Did he? Ian. Huh, Ian? Yeah, they grew up together. They grew up together. Okay, he didn't just walk in and sit down next to you. (laughs) No, you know, you know him. Okay, we're just checking. You know, if you need us, we can just haul him out of here. Right? So, <laughs> so it's okay. All right, so if he's all right, then we're okay, we're good. Just a little bit of house cleaning here is all this morning. All right, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. We um, have been um, working through. Uh, Uh, 2 Corinthians, when Pastor Zeke is out of town and whatever, if we, (coughs) Acts is solely his, and if we try to get into Acts, he's going to get mad and yell at us and stuff, and so I don't like getting yelled at, so we're going to stay away from his book, and we were working through this. And if you missed last week, um, or a couple weeks ago, Pastor Daniel did 2 Corinthians 6, and that was wonderful, and you can pick that up on the website, and so... Um, anyway, let's pray and we'll get into this and tear it up. Uh, Father, we just want to glorify you and place this time into your hands. We just pray that you'll move and touch here in a mighty way. We praise you for the worship time, for the communion. And so, um, we just pray that, uh, that you have your way here this morning with your word, that we can be different when we leave here today, that you'll be glorified. So we place this into your hands and we honor and worship you, Lord. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So then, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 1, he says, Because we have the, these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. And so um, I use the. New Living Translation as a backdrop whenever you know um, I teach to give some clarity to the word what I read in the New King James and then some of the Amplified Bible in there too but uh, that just gives some clarity so so that we can gain an understanding of what the apostle's talking about here but here is a really cool thing because this is the the kind of the neat thing about this is he's talking to the Corinthian church he's talking to a Gentile church and they're Christians. And so he's telling them that there needs to be a cleansing that needs to take place. There's some things going on here that needs to change and, and that sort of thing. And uh, he says that we want to, you know, um, uh, work towards a complete holiness and that sort of thing because we fear God. So he's, he's kind of, you know, talking about and giving an encouragement here for a change here. And we're going to look at this a little more depth in a second. But what promises? What promises is he talking about here? Well, if you look at verse 18 of chapter 6, right above that, it says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And this comes right out of uh, Jeremiah chapter uh, 31. And so we're going to turn over there real quick and look at this, uh, Jeremiah 31. And um, we're going to look at um, the very end of... um, of, uh, chap- of verse 8 there in chapter 31 where he says that a great throng shall re- uh, return there. And then verse 9 he says, there, uh, They shall come with weeping and with supplication I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. This is a really cool chapter because if you if you read through the old testament and isaiah and jeremiah and ezekiel as you read through those he really lays out they really lay out a whole thing of where god is just he's just tired of the sin the idolatry and all that's going on with israel and in fact the nations are split in two they're they're broken in half the the nation Of Israel became Israel and Judah and their two nations and they were actually exiled in two different you know uh, you know different places at different times they're actually exiled and in such this is a chapter of restoration God continues to tell them and give them warnings over and over and over again that things are going to change that 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 they're going to be out of here that they've got to make some changes and things have got to be different but they don't. And in fact, in Ezekiel, when, when you look at that, he, he goes with the first exiles. And as they go out, he, um, <clears throat> he keeps on warning them and they still don't believe. God takes it and, and he's breaking things up and he's moving them. But in the middle of all of this, as he's continuing to to warn them and things, he also talks of restoration. And this is one of the places where he talks about. And this is so cool because he talks about not only a restoration, but a, a meshing back together of the nations into one. It's going to bring everybody back into a nation where they're all going to be one together again. And so as he's talking about here and and he's promising, he goes, I'm a father to Israel. I'm, I'm, you know, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And then a really cool part, if you glance down at the end of chapter 12, he says, and they shall sorrow no more. And we're going to look at this because the apostle really, you know, kind of nails this down as he's looking at, as we go back to second, uh, corinthians 7 he begins to nail down he talks about godly sorrow and that kind of thing but this is a chapter of restoration and it's a wonderful chapter and as you read through jeremiah you can see that but back in in second corinthians chapter 7 uh starting at verse 1 and we're going to look at here i am um i'm not using my notes again so you know here we go again preaching it up. This is just one of them places where you just preach it. You know, you just can't help it. But anyways, I'll try to stick to my notes and let the spirit have his way. Anyways, um so in uh looking at uh, verse 1 in the amplified it says, "Since we have this great and wo- uh, since we have these great and wonderful promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, completing holiness, living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God. Remember, He's talking to a Christian church here. Now, there's a doctrine out there, and it's it's prevalent. and it, And the Apostle Paul, uh, when he very first started talking about grace from way back, it was, he. He explained about, you know, grace and that sort of thing. And that term, when we talk about grace, it's always connected with grace through faith. And that's an important part of that because they go together. And we have to recognize that because there's a doctrine out there of like cheap grace. And no matter what I do and no matter what happens or whatever, that I'm covered. Okay. And I'm. And so, you know, I can pretty much do whatever because God covers my sin, you know, from past, present and future. And that's true. He does. And that's not that's not something that's that's not real. But at the same time, I don't want to live my life so that sin is prevalent in my life to the point to where, you I, I'm going to get into, you know, heaven with my shirt on fire, you know, smoking, you know, and stuff, you know. I want I want my life here to reflect the glory of God. I don't want there to be, you know, something to where, you know, I'm just trying to make it through just barely and dodging and, and ducking, you know, and stuff like that and running and those kinds of things from God. I want by my life. I want to cleanse the junk that's in my life and get it out of there, and I want to actually separate myself out from stuff so that you know I can pursue holiness so that and, and I can be consecrated and set apart for God's purpose, and that's what i where I want to be at that's that I want to get to. I don't. I want it so that I don't want to just get in there, you know, and just barely make it under the wire and say, "Yeah, I've got fire insurance going on and I'm good and I'm covered," you know, and you know I'm dodging and doing all this nonsense, and then I get in there, you know, and stuff, and I'm covered and stuff. But I don't want to leave anybody, you know, that's around me that God may want to use me to influence others. I don't want that. To suddenly, you know, oh well, I don't care about that. You know, I want I want to have it so that God is evident in my life enough, so that other people can see Him in my life, and so that He can be glorified, and then that they may come to Him also. Now, I'm not going to get a bullhorn and go out on the on the you know street corner and stuff. I'll be arrested. I mean. At least in here, I can yell and scream and stuff. And, you know, I won't be arrested yet. I mean, that could change. But, <clears throat> um, but you know, out there, you know, I, I, we don't have to do that. We just want to live our lives so that people can see Christ in us. Amen. And when he gives us an opportunity to share and we have that, then it's there. And he's opened up the doors and we know that he's the one that's doing it all. So I want to get to where I want to cleanse myself from everything that contaminates body and spirit. I don't want the junk that's in my life to keep dragging me down and keeping me in a place to where that I can't uh, then allow myself to be used by him in whatever manner. And so as we go on here, looking at verse two, he says, open up your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. You do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation. So he's saying, please open up your hearts to us. We have not wronged anyone. We haven't taken advantage of anyone. Excuse me, nor led anyone astray, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, this to condemn, as I've said before, that you're in our hearts and we live or we die together with you. And so he's saying that he has the highest confidence in them and he takes pride in them, you know, and, and that he's greatly encouraged by the things that's going on with them and that sort of thing. And despite all of the trouble that they've had. And so the apostle was accused of certain things before he sent them a letter and he laid down some stuff that was going on. This was a, a church, like I said, that was a Gentile church. And they came from from, you know, where they were worshiping the Greek gods and that kind and everything and so um in those places temple prostitutes were used and stuff like that they were still engaging in all of that kind of stuff and 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 things like that and so and then there was a guy who was having some trouble and some issues that was right kind of right in the middle of the church that was in blatant sin they weren't dealing with it they were just kind of letting things go they weren't you know uh you know trying to take care of these things they were just ignoring it he started giving them warnings but as what can happen in you know this kind of a a scenario um they instead of making changes they got angry with the messenger and that happens you know sometimes you know the You know, people get upset because, you know, um, the pastor said this or that or whatever and that kind of thing. And it's like, well, you know what? He's just sharing the word of God. Now, if if all of a sudden I'm, I'm, you know, creating some kind of scenario and and that kind of stuff and everything, then I'm outside of that. But but if I'm just sharing the word of God and that's what he is and, and the love that he has for these people really comes through. It's not like it's something that's, you know, that's far away from him. He's not breaking it up and saying, okay, you know, I'm angry now and this is the way it's going to be and that kind of stuff. And he's cutting them off and everything. No, this whole book, this whole letter is an opening. It, It just he just opens everything up and he's pouring himself out there and he's making a defense. But at the same time, he's laying the scenario out and saying, what's wrong with it? What have I done wrong? What's going on here? Let's come and tell me. What is it that you like? And then let's work it out so that we can get on the same page and we're even keeled all the way across the board. I don't want anything hidden. I don't want to play any games. And so, you know, there's times when in churches, you know, things get busted up and and things, you know, happen, you know, and people get disjointed and angry and that kind of stuff. And, uh, And it's sad. There's there's a church right now that uh, in in our community that with just within the last month or so, um, the denomination dropped the fellowship that was in the community. This is true. It just happened. And uh, they actually um, um, booted the fellowship from the building and they shuttered the building and they're selling it. And they don't want to have any kind of a connection with that community. But God doesn't stop. God is good, right? We just sang about that, right? So what does he do? The fellowship has banded together, they stayed together, they have supported their pastor, and they have all they have already got themselves a new place to, to gather and worship, and they are um <clears throat> and they are are have filed all their paperwork to become a church and that kind of stuff. They're un- a Um, independent church now because they got dropped but but they are continuing on and it didn't they can't the denomination may drop it but the church didn't die they are still continuing on and they're praising and worshiping god and they're gathering together and they have gathered here together today and so praise God for that because, you know, and so even though, you know, this kind of stuff goes on and people get angry or there's problems or, or that kind of stuff, the apostle didn't cut them off and say, okay, well, heck with it, you know, you guys going down the road with your bad self, I don't care about you, you know, I don't want to have nothing to do with you, you know, he didn't cut them off, and then at the same time, these guys got angry, but... Changes took place because he wrote and he said, there needs to be a change here. Things need to turn. There needs to be something different here. And they responded to it. That is a really cool part of this. Because as we go on here in verse uh, 5 here, he says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the consolation which when she was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest uh, desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. These guys turned the corner here. And and they decided that they were going to do something different. And so when he had gotten into Macedonia, you know what happened when he went to Macedonia. You guys have heard this stuff before. You know. You know, then when the uh, the apostle he he wanted to go to Asia and God shut him down. He wanted to go all over different places, God stopped it, said, "Uh uh-uh, no. And then he had a dream and a vision. He needed to go to Macedonia. And so he went, man, as soon as he got there, man, he got slammed. He got stomped, man. He was stoned and he was beaten and he wound up in jail and all this kind of stuff. And he got thrashed when he went up there. And but he didn't stop. He didn't say, well, maybe this isn't of God, because God told him when he very first got saved that this sort of thing was going to happen to him. He tried to stop the church. But he, you know, and then so God made a change in his life. But he says, you're going to suffer for it, you know. And because the Jews, they just continued after him, chasing him down. Because on the one hand, he was supposed to be stopping the church. Then he joined them and started to further it. And they're just not putting up and so they start chasing him down but he is slammed all the time so here and this is after the church has been formed obviously in in Corinth and here he is in Macedonia again and he's been in jail and everything else up there as you're looking at Acts 19 and 20 and that kind of stuff But, but sometimes when God calls us to a ministry you know it can be a difficult one and it can be rugged and it was for him but uh, God was still faithful. God was moving and he was going to continue on. He wasn't going to cut and run. He wanted to stay in and hang in there because he knew this is where God was. But at the same time, he had a real love for this church. I mean, you can imagine, you know, if, if all of the stuff that was going on and then he finds out that everybody's all angry with him and stuff. And it's like, so why do I bother with this mess? Why should I even do this? This is ridiculous, you know? I, 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 you know, Nobody listens. Nothing, you know? Like, you know, Jeremiah, he got thrown in that mud pit, you know? They just left him in there. Finally, some dude comes up and goes, he got him out of there. He was in there so long they had to get some special, you know, thing to get him out of there because he's all thrashed down in that hole and everything, you know? These guys, they just stand strong because God has given them the strength and the ability to do these kinds of things. That's where the focus is. And so here, the apostle gets encouragement. He says when they had arrived, they had no rest, you know, and that sort of thing. But then he was called, <clears throat> but that's where he was supposed to go. And then they faced conflict in every direction, battles on the outside and on fears on the inside. And when the myths of all this He receives this encouragement, encouragement in the form of repentance from the Corinthian church. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us with the arrival of Titus and his presence was a joy. But so was all the news that he had brought encouragement from the Corinthians. And he told them how they longed to see him, how sorry they were for what had happened, how loyal they were to him. And he says, I was filled with joy. It's amazing what encouragement can do. It's amazing when 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 we find out that, you know, there can be forgiveness or or sometimes just saying I'm sorry or letting something go or a releasing of pride. What a what a healing this can be. And you know that that, you know, in our own lives and in our own relationships, you know, sometimes sorry can really, you know, go a long way, you know. Well, I can be hard nosed and say, Pfft, you know, I'm, I ain't gonna go crawling, you know, I'm gonna wait for her to come back to me. I'm not gonna get over there, Psh, you know, <laughs> you know how good that works, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there ain't a man in here that hasn't thought that. And I don't know, at the same time, it's like going, Pfft, you know, that don't work. Trust me. And if you're thinking about doing it, get over it. It ain't going to happen. She ain't going to come crawling. So get it, forget about it. There you go. Anyways. Um, but to say you're sorry or to say, you know, the, to gain some encouragement or, or to just all, you know, to drop that pride and to let things go so that things, that, that there are healing can take place. It's such a healing on both sides. But you know, this is the same with God. You know, when we come to know him as Lord, when we repent, when we finally come to that place where we give it over to him, real change can take place. And there's real joy in him when this happens. He's, he's like just like this. He's filled with joy when we come to a place like if we look back at verse 1 again and where we really begin to let go of sin. When we really want to start separating ourselves out, God is joyful in that. When a sinner comes to, to, to know him, there's like a party in heaven when people really get saved. There's a great joy that he has for that because now we have come to that place of giving our lives over to him and true repentance and salvation can take place. And so the apostle is is reflecting on this and how happy he is that the church has turned a corner and they actually listened to, to Titus and that sort of thing because he couldn't go himself. But at the same time, God is in that same place. And when a sinner or or when we have come to Him, give our hearts to Him, when we give our lives over, when we repent and say, I'm sorry, and and I want to make a change, He's right there, man. And He's ready to do it. And He wants us and desires us to come to Him to make changes. But man, you know, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. No, I've done things that is so bad that there can't be any change. Yeah, I'm sorry, but there's there can be no fix. I can't, I can't. Uh, there's no forgiveness for me because I've done bad stuff. And may, and and you know what? The, it it could be that that I was already saved when these things happened. I should have known better, but I didn't. I just went ahead and did them anyways knowing that, that, that the way that things were supposed to be, but I didn't care. I was all caught up in myself, and I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. So what is going to be now? Is God going to go back up on the cross, and He's going to die all over again for me? I don't think so. I'm just dust. I'm done. There's nothing for me. There's no fix. Because if I've been saved, and I knew better, and then all of a sudden I'm on the other end of this, I'm just, you know, in a position now to where, you know, God's just going to step right on me. He don't care no more. He don't look at me. He moved on. He don't pay attention to what goes on in my life. Well, you're wrong. That's right. right. You're wrong. Because He loves you so much. Let's look at verse 8. Check this out. I better, I get excited when I read this. I better take a drink and get all antsy here on this one. This is a wonderful group of scripture. It's one of my favorites. Past, I know Pastor Zeke has all kinds of favorite scripture, right? But see, the whole Bible is his favorite, you know? And, and so he just loves it all. So, you know, but this is indeed one of my favorite scriptures here. It says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. What a wonderful group of Scripture. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, although uh, I was sorry at first, for I knew it was painful for you for a little while, but now I'm glad that I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. The New King James here says, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For son, God, godly sorrow produces a repentance leading to salvation. That there is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But, and the Amplified puts it this way, in worldly sorrow, the hopelessness, the hopeless sorrow of those who don't believe, that produces death. The word for world there is Cosmos. cosmos. And that's the world that we exist in. That's that Satan created world that's around us. There is a world that's there that that exists that's around us. Now, if I have a godly sorrow and, and there's there's things that I've done in my life and I'm saying whatever it is. Whatever it is, if you're a child of God, you can always turn, you can always get on your knees, you can give it to Him. And in that way, then there can be real restoration because you are a child of God. Don't forget that. He says you are his child. And he's and, and he wasn't just talking to Israel, he's talking, the apostle uses this in the example of a Gentile church, and he's saying, We're the children. Of God, and if we are His children, then true restoration, the same that was going on in, in Jeremiah, where He said, There is no sorrow there, and in that restoration, it's ours now, here, and that changes can take place. But in, in the world, there's nothing there. There's regret, there's pain, there's shame, there's guilt. Oh, and I can use all kinds of stuff to try to deaden that pain, but it doesn't work. It doesn't go away. Drugs and alcohol will not change anything. It's just going to make everything worse. And I just keep digging a hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And I move into different things and different things and different things and nothing changes. And the regret is just there. And it doesn't stop. And at some point, then I have to, you know, begin to see that there has to be some kind of change. I mean, if you look at the recovery programs, and you look at it, you know, how they, they even in a secular program like with uh, the 12 steps, you need something more than yourself to get sober. They say that straight up. And that's and 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 I've even known some guys, and they'll say, well, you know. Uh, I believe that my higher power is the doorknob, and that the doorknob's gonna get me fixed, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, right. Like the doorknob's really gonna make a difference. The real thing about that recovery is, is that they give you a three-month chip. And why do they give you a three-month chip? Because you got to white knuckle it. You've got enough strength within you to white knuckle it to get through. To the point to where you can, you can hang on for that three months. After that, you're done. You don't have any strength left. You're off of it. And you, you can't hang on anymore. And you need something more than yourself to get sober. And that is the place where you've got to be. Unfortunately, a lot of people will continue to kind of stumble along or use these meetings or whatever to try to do it. But the true people that I know of personally, that I know that have gotten sober and have stayed that way, it's because their addiction got in the way with their relationship with God. And one of them had to go and they dropped the addiction so that they could further their relationship with God. And they stayed sober. And that is how they did it. And it has to do with that. And so when we look at this, if I, if I look at the difference between trying to use the doorknob or, you know, the creator of the universe to get sober, what this isn't even, it's is like a no-brainer, man. I mean, come on, think about this. It's like, uh, well, let's see, you know, let me think about it. You no, know, it's like, no, it's done. It's a done deal. And it has to do with with Christ and a godly sorrow and a real restoration. Man, I still carry around a lot of guilt and stuff. Then keep giving it to him and let it go because he's going to move. But man, I've done bad stuff. Yeah, he knows that. He knows. He knows where you're at. He knows what you've done. He knows what's going on, but it doesn't matter. He wants you to start letting it go and making changes in your life so things are better then. And that he's glorified in that. That's his desire. So, um, verse 11, it says, But the church in Corinth, you know, had sorrowed in a godly manner. The Amplified puts it like this. For you can look back and see what an earnestness and authentic concern this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, which is like a charges against that you to- tolerated sin. Excuse me. What uh, an indica- what ind- uh, indignation at sin, what fear of offending God. What longing for righteousness and judgment. And what passion to do what is right. And what readiness to punish those who sin and who tolerate sin. They had a situation that they had to take care of and they did. They had situations that were going on. But I mean, you know, they changed. There was a zeal. Get angry about sin that's in your life. Don't get angry at God because he doesn't like the sin that's in your life. Don't get angry at the pastor because he's sharing with you about the sin that needs to be dealt with. Don't get angry about that stuff. Get angry about the sin that's there that needs to be dealt with that you need to root out and get rid of it. Because that is the place that we want to get to this stuff out and i want to to you know uh live a life that glorifies him that's sanctified so that i can be in that purpose that place for his purpose not just stumbling along i don't want to be like that but i love this here he says what diligence it produced in you what clearing of yourselves what indignation what fear what vehement desire what zeal what vindication let's get vindicated Let's get move away from the sin that plagues us. Let's move away from the sorrow that tears us down and beats us up. Let's get away from that stuff that keeps us suppressed. Let's give it up so that things can be different in our lives. And so he goes on to say, At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this manner. And so he says his purpose wasn't, he didn't write to them about who was doing wrong or who was wrong. He goes, I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, and this is important, that you see how uh, loyal you are to us. And the purpose of godly sorrow is to clear ourselves and to draw closer to God. But what if that person... Doesn't receive what I have to say? What if I have sorrow in my life and, and, and such, and I go to someone and I apologize and it's refused? What if I tried to be sorrowful and stuff, you know, and stuff, but I wound up going to jail anyways? What if I, I tried to make changes and, you know, you know, that person that, that was in the car with me when I was drinking and driving, um, they're not going to come back to life. How am I going to get beyond that? How can I change that? How can I make things different? I can't, I can't do this. But see, that's where this makes the change. That's where this is different. I knew a man who, whose um, brother-in-law had backed over his young son and killed him. And uh, the brother in law called him and, uh, and tried to talk to him and tell him and apologize. And he couldn't, he was so sorrowful, but the man was angry and he said, No, I, I can't talk to you. I can't see you. I, I don't even, I can't deal with this. And so he just blew him off. Well, him and his wife, the man that had lost the child, he, him and his wife got saved a while after that. So he called his brother-in-law back and he said, hey, you know, I'm sorry for the way I was and stuff and everything. And he goes, yeah, well, that's too bad. That's too late. He goes, I don't want to talk to you about it. He goes, I tried to talk to you and I couldn't. And so, done. Can't, can't do it. Like, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, that was years and years and years ago. True story. Um, and uh, I don't know where those men are now. I don't know what happened with that and, and everything and stuff. But sometimes there's a lot of pain and people don't want to drop it or you can't overcome. Or maybe, you know, I know that for the brothers up at Fenner, you know, they're detached from their families and they can't do anything about situations that's going on. And so they're just kind of stuck there and they may feel bad or they may have sorrow and that kind of stuff. And uh, they just can't fix anything that's going on. But in the sight of God, he sees the sorrow. He brings restoration. He fixes things in his sight He brings a real healing. And there may be guilt. There may be shame. There may be, you know, uh, situations that come that that we just can't seem to let go. But we'll have the ability because if you're a child of God, then restoration is really there and it's yours and He fixes it. And that is the place that we want to, that's how we want to remember and keep our, our focus on. Because I don't want to get into that place to where, you know, um, you know, I I, everything is just, you know, I just kind of cast it all off and just kind of move away. King David said and, and he tried to break all of the Ten Commandments all at once. And it says that against you and you alone have I sinned when he talks to God. Because that's where it's really at. When it comes to my sin, it winds up being between me and him. And that is then I can give it over to him. And he's the one that will take it. I, you know, do terrible, you know, if I've done terrible things to another person. And I and I try to apologize for that. And it might not work, but my real sin is against God. And he says, I'll take it. And I can bring a real cleansing here of that. And that's the desire that we have. So looking at verse um, 13, he says, Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and and rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as you spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you. He remembers the obedience of you all. Now with fear and trembling, you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence uh, in you. Everything. So seeing that they are, are loyal to them and to him and that they're in then they were greatly encouraged by this. And they were delighted to see how happy Titus was that he had worked with them and and that sort of thing. And and so, you know, his mind was at ease. And so Paul had told them how proud he was of them and that they didn't disappoint him and the encouragement, you know, was, was all there and that sort of thing. And so, you know, and Paul had told them, had always told them the truth. And so his um, boasting to Titus about them proved to be true. And so then Titus, you know, um, he cares for them even more now than he did than before. And then the way that they had all obeyed him and the way they welcomed him with fear and deep respect, Paul was very happy with them because he had complete confidence in them. Now, as you continue as we continue to work through this this particular letter and and as we look at the chapters coming up, uh, Paul still encourages and rebukes and defends himself and those kinds of things, and he's going to continue to do that he's going to further you know this idea and that sort of thing, but the love that he has for these people hasn't gone away it hasn't stopped, and so he's going to continue to to uh, teach and to to minister and that sort of thing so and encourage them and and such there but uh, but we just have to to see that that um, a godly sorrow is going to be able to produce a relief that you know not only for us but that also, it produces a relief for others. And so we can let go of a lot of stuff and, and that sort of thing. If there's pride or if there's anger or if there's things that's harboring your walk or harboring you know something that in a relationship with someone else, then release it and let it go. And, and just in the sight of God, give it to Him. Whether it's received or not, just begin to let it go. Because it's a healing for yourself as well as for Him. And then God When we begin to do that in John 8 36, he says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So remember, as we examine this and we look at. um, As we look back at verse one and he says, then, you know, since we have these great and wonderful promises, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, completing holiness, living a consecrated life, a life that's set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, we just um, want to glorify you now, Father. Father, if there's things that that are plaguing us, if there's guilt and shame, if there's sorrows, Father, that we just keep pushing down, if there's pride and such that's there that we just keep hanging on to, we pray, Father, that you'll move uh, against those things, that you'll give us a, a place to where we can just really release that so that a real uh, restoration can take place. And, Father, um, we just pray that you'll move and touch her and that we all uh, know you here today, Father. But if there's anybody here that has never asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, if there's ones here today that, that maybe have uh, sorrows and, and things that they need to, to, uh, to let go of or, or whatever, you know, if there's things that, that you know that, that you're far away from him or, or that you don't know him at all. If you just uh, raise your hand uh, and then I'll pray for you now. So if there's anybody here who has things like that. All right. I see your hand there. Awesome. Well, Father, we just uh, praise you for this brother that, that has acknowledged you and desire that you uh, will move in his life in a mighty way. We pray you'll touch him and that you bring a real healing there. And if he doesn't know you, that you'll bring him to that place of knowing you as Lord and Savior, that you forgive his sin and that he'll know you and and come to walk with you. And so, Father, we glorify you. We honor you. We pray that if there's any of us here that has things that uh, we need to let go of, that you give us that freedom and, and ability to let go and that you be glorified. We honor and worship you. We thank you for how much you love us and what you've given for us. And uh, we just want to glorify you in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Well, if you.